Welcome to the Brand Design Masters podcast, the show dedicated to helping you build the skills you need to design bulletproof brands for yourself, your business, and for the clients and customers you serve. And now, here's Philip. As a creative entrepreneur, it can feel isolating to go it alone. Imagine being surrounded by other accomplished creative colleagues eager to accelerate the growth of their business and personal brands. I'm Philip Van Dusen, and I'm launching a membership community called Bonfire for creative pros like you, because I believe in the power of building a meaningful network. Bonfire is a hybrid coaching, training, networking, and accountability community, a place for us to share, grow, and ignite our potential together. Need more confidence about your next move? With our Fire Milestone Success Map, you'll know what your next step should be and exactly how to get there. You get bi-weekly video sessions, private online community, a deep resource library, and exclusive access to yours truly and other amazing benefits. So come join Bonfire, a community of like-minded individuals who are as passionate as you. Visit philipvandusen.com bonfire to learn more about the launch. Let's fuel your creative future. The following podcast comes from a live stream I did recently. Many of you have requested that I make my live streams available as audio so you can listen to them on the go. So I am now republishing some of my most popular live streams as podcasts to make that possible. I share a boatload of valuable tips, tools, methods, and processes on my live streams, and I want to make sure that you don't miss a thing. Now, you may hear me make references to slide visuals, which you obviously can't see on a podcast, or to live stream viewers' comments and questions, but that just comes with the territory and generally won't detract from the value of the content, I assure you. And as always, if you like this episode, please take a moment to provide a star rating or review on your favorite podcast listening platform, or better yet, share the episode on social or with a friend or a colleague. And with that, let's jump into the episode. Um, psyched to be here with you guys today. Welcome, welcome. So if any of you don't know this, I actually do coaching for creative professionals. So if you are in need of one-on-one coaching in your career, maybe you're looking for a new job, maybe you're making a pivot mid-career, looking for that promotion, looking to improve your website or your portfolio, whatever that is, if you're interested in working one-on-one with me, just go to philipvandusen.com slash one-on-one, and you can learn more about it there and access uh, setting up sessions with me. So if you're not subscribed to my newsletter, go to my website. There's a pop-up. There's a number of places you can enter your email address. I'd love it if you guys got on my email list so I can communicate with you directly. That's one of the things about YouTube that you will learn if you're a content creator is that YouTube keeps you blind. It doesn't make it easy to uh, communicate with your subscribers, followers, viewers. And so one of the goals, if you are doing YouTube, is to get people off of YouTube and someplace where you can talk with them directly. And so for me, that is the Brand Design Masters Facebook group, for one thing. So if you're not a member, this is a free but private group that I host on Facebook called the Brand Design Masters Facebook group. And uh, it's a great community of over seven or 8,000 people now, creative professionals who are sharing inspiration and feedback and designs and news and resources and all sorts of stuff with each other. It's a really cool and vibrant group. So if you're not a member, head over there and definitely check that out. And then the other thing that you got to know about is Bonfire. And Bonfire is my membership mastermind community, which just launched last Thursday. 
And so the doors are open now. So if you're interested in joining an amazing community of creative professionals who are networking with each other, masterminding, and building their businesses faster, and getting direct uh, group coaching from me, head over to philfandusen.com slash bonfire and check that out. You'll learn a little bit more about it towards the end of the live today. So what we're going to talk about today are seven things that designers really need to know today. And I say today because, you know, as a designer, you have your core skill set, your design skills, your photography, your writing, your UX, UI, your web design skills, whatever it is that you do as a creative professional, you have that core deep skill set. But one of the things that we all, I think, are recognizing and that I'm hearing a lot from people in Bonfire as we kind of all check in and introduce ourselves to each other is that the market is very, very different out there now than it used to be. And there are a lot of challenges and a lot of changes. There's a need for us as creative professionals to adapt at a speed and in a way that we've never had to do before. And I've been in this business a long time. And so I want to talk about seven key things. Some of them are tactical. Some of them are more soft skills. But they're all very important, I think, in evolving our skill set and being very conscious and mindful of what we're learning and what we're doing in our professional lives that is going to give us some career insurance, that is going to make us more bulletproof as we go through our careers and equip us with a broader toolkit to do what we do. And so the first thing I wanted to talk about is number one of the seven things designers need to know today is deeper communication skills. Now, the more we are working remote, the more remote we are getting from each other. We have to bridge the gap between our clients out there, digital sphere world, and ourselves through our communication skills, through our verbal communication skills, through our written communication skills. And One of the things that I found is a really good sandbox for that in a way to kind of get in and play and experiment is content. And to do that through podcasting or video or written content, blogs, social media posts on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram threads, wherever you like to show up and to experiment with your communication skills and possibly even the medium that you use for your communication skills, to kind of push that envelope a little bit, get out of your comfort zone a tad, because we have to kind of continually push ourselves because we're developing new communication vocabulary, basically, as we go through our careers. And a couple of things that I find are really often overlooked in terms of communication skills are, number one, active listening. And we spend a lot of time thinking about how we're going to express ourselves, what our business is, what our core skill set is, the value that we bring to the market, how we're going to position ourselves. We think a lot about kind of the, the communication out. But one of the things that I think is one of the most powerful pieces of communication is listening, which is active listening. And I'll just give you an example. When I was working for a big global agency and when we pitched companies like GE and P&G and stuff like that. We would go in with our capabilities presentation, slideshow, case studies, all that sort of stuff, you know, who our team is, the whole kind of get to know you pitch presentation when you go into a client. As we presented, 
the very first thing that we would do, we would ask them as we were like on slide one, we would ask them, what's the biggest problem that you're experiencing in your business today? And that would just start this conversation. And what it would do was we would be deeply actively listening because what that did was it gave us the tools that we needed to present what we were going to present. Meaning when we presented our content and case studies, we could frame it in a way that addressed the problem that they just told us that they had. So using active listening as a tool in communication to deepen that connection and give you more fodder and ammunition to engage with clients and to land clients is one of those, I think, often overlooked pieces of communication. Now, the other one, which goes very closely with that, is empathy. And empathy also really closely aligns with mindfulness. And mindfulness is something that I'm going to talk about a little more in depth later on. But empathy links to listening because when you listen and you hear the problem or the pain point or the issue that people are having or that solution that they're looking for, you have to really feel empathy for that pain point, for that need that they have. Because if you don't feel that empathy, you can't honestly communicate a solution. You can't articulate what is the feeling that they are going to get when that solution is presented to them, when you are able to get them through to the other side. What is that emotional payoff that they're going to get? Unless you have empathy as you're listening to them and really feel that pain point, you don't know how to articulate or even think about what the emotional payoff rather than the you know, the physical benefit of your product or service, what the emotional payoff of that's going to be. And that really will help you in how you craft your communication on your website and when you interact with people. So we want to improve our our client communication skills for a number of other reasons too. One is articulating our design choices. So when we're presenting our creative work to our clients, one of the things we want to improve and pay attention to is how we're articulating why we did what we did. So Articulating that both to team members, if you're presenting possibly in-house in an agency or in-house corporation to your own team or externally to clients, what are the criteria that you use to make the design choices that you made? Learning to articulate what it is in your design that drove the decisions you made and linking that to strategy, to business results, to customer avatars to the results that your design, your creative, whatever that thing is, is going to get for your client. You have to start to learn to articulate what the business problem is, your design or creative solution, and why you made the decisions that you made within that creative solution to solve the business problem. That's a communication skill that we have to really nurture, really practice, really you know, put into practice as often as we possibly can, because that is what elevates us to be true business partners rather than just delivery systems of a piece of creative. And linked to that very closely is kind of presentation skills or storytelling. How do you present your work in a way that people can really engage with, can really feel? And putting that design work or that creative work into context in terms of the end user's life. So Design is, I like to say, design is art with a job to do. Like graphic design and communication design, it is meant and exists for a reason to invoke action in somebody. 
And so how do you put the design or the creative work into the context of where that action is going to happen, why that action is going to happen? And another one, just to segue into something else about clients, is in terms of communication and practicing, is how to deal with difficult clients. And this one could be a live stream all on its own. One of the best ways to deal with difficult clients is never to get to the point where it's a difficult client. And there's a way to kind of cut that off many times at the knees before it happens. And one of them is managing client expectations, being really good about your communication of the phases of your work, the timeline of your work, what the deliverables are, when the meetings and presentations are, how long revisions or your in-between work is going to take before you meet again, being really clear with your clients about what their expectations should be of the process that you're doing. Because many times that keeps clients from becoming bad clients. Now, okay, let's be honest. Some clients are just pains <laughs> pains in the butt. And so it, sometimes clients are just a pain. And hopefully your spidey sense was up and you kind of realized something was hinky. You kind of backed away and didn't get the proposal signed and said, thank you very much and referred them to somebody else. But we can make that communication skill a totally different presentation. But Improving your communication skills in general, and also specifically with clients, is one of those things that can be the difference between turning something that's a one-time gig into a long-term relationship client. So that's number one. That is deeper communication skills. Number two is harnessing AI in and out of design. Now, the emergence of AI tools in our design field has been, oh my God, it feels like literally like a tsunami, a tsunami of content and apps and applications and marriages between AI and tools that we already use already. So Zoom, Zoom I've used every day, multiple times a day, and Zoom is incorporating all of this AI stuff. Every time I go into Zoom, there's a new window with a new tutorial of how you can get text transcripts automatically, or it's just crazy. And let's not even talk about Adobe Creative Suite. People's heads were blown away at Adobe Max a couple of weeks ago by the fact that they have been incorporated AI into Adobe Creative Suite like crazy. Then there's things as simple as web browsing, right? I installed the Grammarly extension to my web browser and Grammarly checks like whatever you're typing, wherever you're typing it and gives you suggestions about what to do. Amazing technology, free and incredibly helpful. And AI is one of those things that's terrifying everybody. And I did a whole live stream on trying to talk everybody off the edge with AI. But the thing about it is, is that we have to adapt to it and adopt it and explore it and experiment with it. That is our job. As creative professionals, adopting AI is our job. We can be pissed, yeah, but it's not going to make it go away. And if you just sit around moping with your arms crossed, you're actually losing time. And other people are getting on the AI boat before you are. It is our job to learn AI and how to utilize it in our processes. So if there's one thing that you take out of today, that's it. Harnessing AI will help you take your creative profession to a completely different level. It's literally like when the computer came around or when Adobe first launched Photoshop. Like it blew, it changed everything. And that's what AI is going to be doing right now. It can streamline your workflow. I tell you, 
my workflow, my content output has increased, my workflow has increased, and it's helped me with writing. It's, I don't use it that much for design. I use it extensively for multi-formatting, especially with video for Square to 16.9 to, you know, to editing with Descript. It's just amazing. In video and, and audio in particular, AI is just like incredible. So let's talk about a, a couple tools. And I decided, you know, to kind of go down a little bit of a rabbit hole and share a few tools with you. So like in imagery, we know mid-journey stable diffusion, right? Old news. But Adobe Firefly is also getting better and slicker. It was super clunky at the beginning, but it's getting better. In video and audio, I'm using video. I'm using Opus Pro. I'm using Descript. I'm using FlexClip. In writing, there's ChatGPT and Bard and Claude. I use Bard today. In fact, it was better than I expected. I use ChatGPT and Claude a lot, and I actually use them against each other, meaning I'll do something in ChatGPT and then I'll take it into Claude and have Claude make it human. There's the design template software, Canva, Adobe Express. Design AI is a new one. If you haven't checked out Design AI, it doesn't like a whole lot of stuff. And then I went down a whole rabbit hole today with color palettes. And the only place that I used to use was Adobe Cooler, K-U-L-E-R. And I think it's actually not even called that anymore. But there's uh, apps like ColorMind and Chroma and Humint and Colorbox and Palatable. All these are really cool color concepting tools where it helps you develop color palettes or give you creative inspiration around color. And so there are tons and tons of amazing AI tools that are just flooding our profession right now. And it's our job to get in there and play with them in the sandbox and see where we can use them in our own content, our own work, and move them into our client projects where possible. Everyone thinks that AI is going to kill our profession. It's not. I guarantee you that it's not. What it is going to do is it's going to cause a big hullabaloo for about two years, and then the dust is going to settle, and clients are going to go, I can't figure this stuff out. I got to hire my, my guy who knows all about it, and he can make it all work for me. The clients are in there playing around stable diffusion and you know, cr creating a Christmas card. They're doing what they did with Microsoft Paint. They're doing a yard sale sign. When it comes down to the real utilization in the real business world and marketing around this stuff, it's our job to figure it out. So there's that. Number three. Number three is mental agility and adaptability. I actually almost said adoptability. And adoptability kind of goes back to the old one, to AI, because there is an aspect of adoptability in there. But being mentally prepared and being adaptable is important as a graphic designer, particularly now because our industry is changing so rapidly. And our tech stack with AI being added to absolutely everything, our tech stack is constantly changing. And so we have to be mentally prepared to make changes. I'm sure you sensed it too when AI first started hit with stable diffusion and, and others that you know people kind of freaked out. And I think that that emotion is already starting to settle a little bit, but you have to ask yourself mentally, you have to ask yourself, where can I evolve? Where can I evolve my practice? What is it that I'm doing that I can make easier, softer, better by utilizing these new tools that are at my disposal and being open and adaptable 
to this new world. Because it's the people who don't adapt. It's, you know, Darwin, right? The people who don't adapt, who don't change, who don't evolve are the species that die out. And so you don't want to be that person. So staying up to date, quickly learning new skills are ways to do it. One of the things that I focus on a lot because it's my training in the fashion industry and also I do a lot of it in my business is studying trends. And so staying up on what is trending, whether you decide to use it or not, you can react against it, doesn't matter. But staying up to date on what is happening, so paying attention to trend. Embracing experimentation, like using all these AI tools. Experimentation even with your own design or your creative. One of the things that I encourage people to do or creatives to do is if you're in a particular discipline, just try another one. Try another discipline for half a day, for a couple hours a week. If you're a designer, start playing with videography or video editing. If you're a photographer, start do audio editing or start sketching. If you're a writer, start doing layout in graphic design. Mix it up for yourself. When I was a fine artist back very early in my career, that was one of the things that we did. I mean, I was a painter, but I also drew. I also did printmaking. I also did hand building in ceramics. And so mixing up media sometimes can really enliven your creativity and help you see or try things that you haven't tried things before. It's a way to keep yourself adaptable and keep yourself agile. And then Another way to be adaptable is to network and to work with others, because when you're working with others, you're always taking things in terms of new skills and new things that are on the landscape and stuff you haven't heard about yet, or, you know, it happens all the time with me and my own peer mastermind is the people using things and doing things that infect the whole group very quickly. And suddenly we all are. And Bonfire is one of those things, the mastermind group Bonfire that I've launched is one of those places where you really can network to the extent that it's going to be super valuable in your ability to adapt and stay agile. And then finally, you just want to raise your awareness. You want to raise your awareness of what's around you. Perfect example is all the people who are here right now. And so, which is awesome. And congratulations to you because what you are doing is you're keeping your ears open. You're paying attention. You're trying to stay up to date on stuff. And that's what I'm asking you to do. And you are practicing it by watching this right now. So congratulations to you on that one. Number four is networking and relationship building. Now you've heard it a million times, right? I'm going to say it again. It's who you know, not what you know. Now I've spent a lot of time so far in this live stream talking about AI and talking about you know what you know and improving and increasing what you know. But who you know is oftentimes much more important. And I think as we become more remote, as we become more distant from each other, when things become more virtual, it's even more important that we pay attention to building, fostering, nurturing, maintaining relationships. Now, here are five different sorts of relationships that you can have. Number one, peers. You need a supportive peer network, a number of people in your peer network. Because of what's happening and how the market is changing so much, it's a very stressful place out there right now. You know it. I know it. People in Bonfire know it. 
And that's one of the reasons why a lot of them are there is because they're building a meaningful network, a supportive network of people whose skill level they trust, whose opinions they trust, and they can get meaningful feedback from that they can trust. And so in terms of professional connections, peers is a big one. Number two is cross-functional relationships, and that's people who do what you don't do. So it may be peers, or it could be actual just business colleague relationships where you're a fear of graphic designer, you know a video editor, or you know an audio editor, and you know a UX UI person or someone specializes in SEO. Developing and creating meaningful connections between cross-functional partners that could lead to strategic partnerships is a huge business development move. And it's one of the professional connections that's kind of very key to kind of call out as a specific one that you want to pay attention to. Number three is client prospects. And of course, by looking at and focusing on and learning about the business categories that we're going to be servicing with our creative work and the creative that we deliver, we will start to build and nurture and find relationships with client prospects. Those, that's a category of connection that we want to call out and separate from all others. That's a particular target and a focus for us. Number four is current clients. And current clients are more important than almost any because they've had experience with us already. They are our key source of word of mouth and referrals. And maintaining those good client relationships, nurturing them, staying in contact with them is the easiest network relationship to build, but it's also the most profitable, just to be honest. And number five is mentors. And mentorship is another one that is important to me because I mentor people and I am a mentor and a coach within Bonfire. I also coach people, obviously, individually. And finding a mentor or someone who can guide you, give you coaching, give you guidance, give you advice, understand you deeply, your motivations deeply, your needs, where you want to go in your profession, your challenges, et cetera. That's a professional connection that if you don't have some sort of a mentor, if you don't have some sort of a coach, I would recommend that you do it and that you start to nurture or find or develop a relationship with someone who could become that with you. There's online networking. So online conferences and webinars niche community platforms like on Facebook or LinkedIn groups. LinkedIn groups are one of those completely underutilized things by creatives, I think. LinkedIn groups are another great platform for establishing new network connections and building relationships. Then there's offline networking, and this is another underutilized one, I think, today in the digital you know, kind of environment that we're in. Conferences, local meetups, physical meetups, joining your chamber of commerce, finding regional groups like Toastmasters, professional groups like the Business Networking International, BNI, which is one of the biggest business networking organizations in the world. They have, they're in like 70 countries. The Entrepreneurs Organization, another really great organization, physical meetups where you get to know real people, meetup.com, another one. So offline networking It's easier. It's so much easier to network online. Let's face it. But when it comes down to it, the stuff that face to face, pressing the flesh, that is a place where real relationships are forged. 
And so there are kind of five phases of networking that I like to talk about. The five phases of networking are connecting. So let's just start where you find a person, you make a connection. The second one is asking questions. Asking questions is a big one. And just at the very beginning of this live stream, I told you the story about us doing a presentation to P&G where the first thing we asked was, what's the biggest problem that you're having in your business right now? Asking questions is one of the things that can endear you to people faster than anything else. And I'm going to tell you another story. There was a research study done a number of years ago, probably decades ago by now, but it's significant and it's really important to understand it, was that they took two people and they had a cocktail party situation. And one person they told, go into the cocktail party and you can't talk about yourself at all. You can't talk about your job, your home, your business or anything. All you can do is ask questions. And then the other person, they said, yes, just go in and interact as you normally would at a cocktail party. You can share what you do and about your home life and about your job and you know what your, who your clients are, et cetera, et cetera. And after they did this test, they interviewed all the people at the party about those two people. And the person who never talked about themselves and all they asked questions, they asked the people, who was the friendliest, the most intelligent, the most accomplished? the nicest to talk to, all of these kind of performance indicators for developing a relationship. And they asked the people that about these two people, the one who didn't talk about themselves at all and only asked questions, and the one that they talked about themselves normally. To a person, the person who didn't talk about themselves at all and only answer questions was rated as more fun to talk to, more accomplished, more fun to be around, just run down the list. And that kind of blew me away because the person didn't divulge anything about what they did or what level they were at or how much money they made or where they live or, you know, anything. And so asking questions is a key component of networking. And it's just after connecting with someone because it's the quickest way to endear yourself and to start to develop a meaningful relationship. Number three is to lend your expertise. And that is helping. Helping without expectation of return is another way to forge relationships very quickly. And this is a great thing to do in LinkedIn forums. And it's also a great thing to do in mastermind groups. And it happens a lot in Bonfire where people are giving others meaningful feedback and offering their expertise and solutions to others for free. It develops relationships very quickly. Number four is you want to engage. And engaging is participating. It is and it's commenting, it's being there, it's participating in the group conversation. And number five is a really important one. And this is one of the ones that is, I think, also underutilized or under, I know, not enough attention is paid to it. And that is maintaining. Maintaining relationships is hard because you have a lot of them, but just reaching out once in a while, every two or three months and just asking, how are you doing? How's everything going? Just letting people know that they're still on your radar and that you care. And that sort of maintenance, just keeping yourself top of mind with people is just like content marketing. (laughs) It's just like you got to be in feed to be in mind, right? You have to show up in someone's feed in order to be top of mind. It's the same thing with relationships. You have to show up in someone's email or someone's DMs with just a little comment. Hey, how you doing? Oh, guess what I'm working on? Here's an article I thought you'd be interested in. No ask, no nothing, no big long email, just a connection. Maintaining 
connection, a little bit of touch. Number five is under the radar client acquisition strategies. There's seven of these in particular, co-hosting. So co-hosting is an amazing client acquisition strategy. And a lot of these, the thread that holds them together is the idea of leveraging the networks or the connections of others or the audiences or the followers of others. And it's also a networking activity. And so number one is co-hosting, which is co-hosting with another person, a webinar, a discussion panel, anything that you're co-hosting together with someone could be a podcast. It's a way to develop a deep relationship. Number two is guesting. And that is being a guest on someone's podcast, being a guest on someone's discussion panel, offering yourself up as a subject matter expert to participate. Number three is polling. Polling is an interesting one, and I've had this happen to me a number of times, which, and I found it really interesting, and that is when someone polled a number of subject matter experts and asked them a particular question and asked them for like 100 words on this one question. And each of these subject matter experts would write back with 100 words on that thing, and then the person would compile them all into an article. And what this did was it brought that person to the attention of every single person that they asked to participate. Granted, not everyone's going to participate, but then they are putting you together into a basket with a bunch of other notable subject matter experts with followings and featuring you in that long form piece of content that's of real value to people who read it, who want to know the answer to that question. And it's super valuable to the people who are reading it. It's also valuable to the people who contributed because it's great to read the responses of all the other people who are your peers. And it's bringing the person who wrote it and did all the work of communication to the attention of every single one of those peers that they connected with. So polling is another great one. Number four is networking, and that is using your network for referrals. So direct peers or partners and getting referrals through them. Number five is referring, and that is referral programs. So you could set up a reciprocal referral program with a non-competitive business. So you might set up a referral program with a photographer or an illustrator or a web developer or a sign maker. You could set it up with a retail establishment and say, I'll refer all the people who need massages to your massage place, and you refer anybody who needs graphic design services or loves your logo that I did for you, you refer them to me. So setting up kind of reciprocal referral programs. Number six is co-creating, and that's collaborating on creating valuable content together. And that's something also that I don't see done a lot, and I think it's really underutilized, is creatives who are actually working together. The place I see it the most, I think, is on podcasts where you have co-hosts who both have their own audiences and they get together as subject matter experts and it becomes more of a kind of a conversation sort of podcast. And so co-creating is one of those ones that I encourage you to think about. Who do you know? Who's a peer that you could do something with? You could write an article with. You could develop a carousel with. You could you know, host a webinar with. Do a live stream with. How can you co-create something? Number seven is packaging. And what I mean by packaging is I mean by creating a packaged product or service. So say you know a photographer and you do web development. And so you market landing pages that have portrait photography and web design or book launch stuff to people who are authors. 
right? So you package a product where you're both contributing and selling something, and then you figure out a market that's going to need that package. And that's also a way to build a peer network, but it's also a way to get clients, obviously. And then number six is speaking. So speaking, you know, on digital stages, we all know that, but then there's also opportunities to speak locally to chambers of commerce on panels, in conferences, at meetups. So that's another thing that you can explore, the in real life piece of speaking. So that's under the radar client acquisition strategies. Number six is content marketing secrets. Now, I wanted to talk about some content types that designers are not using enough, or they're not using them for the right things. So one of the things that creative professionals need to do more of is use content to showcase our work, showcase your skill, show case studies. I'm amazed by how little I see that actually in my LinkedIn feed that people are actually showing the work that they're doing. Show one specific project from start to finish. It shows your thinking and working process, which is transparent. It's really interesting to prospective clients, and they can see themselves getting something from that kind of interesting creative process. But it also showcases the in-depth look at how you do your work. And so featuring case studies is is one of those things that I think in social media and content is not utilized enough. And another place to show your work, and I have a whole live stream on LinkedIn about for creatives, showcase your design work in your profile banner. And the cool thing about a profile banner on LinkedIn is that you can change it every day if you want to, right? You can have a rotating 15 slides that you change every few days on LinkedIn. So there's a little newness on your profile, but it's also showcasing your work. You can also attach portfolio PDFs to your job titles. And if you create multiple positions within a job title, you can add multiple PDFs to each position. You can use that to show case studies. And if you're interested in it, just go to my LinkedIn profile and look on Verhal Brand Design, my agency, and you'll see that I actually created positions within Verhal, which are actually just case studies. It's a great and easy way to show PDFs of your work on a public forum that's in an unexpected place. It's not on Behance. It's not, you know, on Adobe Portfolio. Showing carousels on LinkedIn in the main feed of your work or case studies or video slideshows or animated slideshows. The LinkedIn algorithm loves video. So, I mean, you could do like a page turning, you know, PDF portfolio in video form on LinkedIn and LinkedIn's algorithm is going to rank it higher because it loves video and it wants to share it. And audio is another kind of platform it's a way to show your expertise around something in terms of your knowledge of an industry or category, but it's a harder thing to actually show a portfolio in. And another content type that I think is underutilized are industry trend reports. And looking at, if you're in a creative business, you probably work with a certain kind of client, maybe a certain size of client or a certain industry of client that you've done a number of times. Analyzing kind of industry trends within that client base and putting together some sort of a, a slideshow or review in about design or about technology in that space or around the marketing that's happening in that space. It shows a level of thought leadership, and it's also super interesting to people who are in that industry. And so I encourage you to try to experiment with that. Think about what you could do in terms of creating some sort of an industry trend report or what you're seeing. It could be what's happening in web design in 
you know, a particular in, in the real estate industry. And then kind of t- tacking on to that is category-specific design language presentations. And I know that's a mouthful. Category-specific design language presentations. And what I mean by that is that in particular categories of business, there are aesthetics have a tendency to be the aesthetic language of the category. So if you think about the financial industry, there is an aesthetic language of how you communicate stability, financial savvy, size, scale. And to create a category-specific kind of review of that design language and talk about why it's happening and what the similarities are and what's the language of that category shows your expertise, your observation, your knowledge of the category. And it's super interesting to the people in the category. And so that's another sort of trend or thought leadership piece that you could develop. And one that's probably the easiest and one of the ones that's like that, but it's one that you're probably more familiar with is to do a competitive audit. And that is in the same industry, maybe it's restaurants or the financial industry or real estate or consultants or whatever that is, to do a a competitive audit, take three or four people or companies that are in that industry and just do a review of them. How are they showing up on the web? How are they showing up on social? What are they doing? Compare and contrast them to each other. Shows your thinking, your analytical skills. It's really interesting content to consume, I tell you. And it shows, it allows you to talk design and aesthetics, but in a business context. And that's how you start to elevate yourself from a creative product producer to a business partner thinker is where you show that strategic thinking or that observation skill about a particular industry in your particular realm of expertise. Maybe you're a video editor and you say, okay, these are videos that are happening in the pharmaceutical industry. So you take three videos and you compare and contrast them and you make some observations and some key points and maybe some recommendations around how they could be better or different. And to do that elevates your expertise starts to show that you're into a particular niche or category. It's super interesting to the people who are in that industry. And so it's kind of a content format, which I don't see being utilized very often. And granted, these content last three around trends and category specific and, and competitive audits, they are more labor intensive to put together, granted. But the thing about them is, is they have incredible long life right? You can republish those things every month in the exact same place and different people are going to see them. You can develop three or four competitive audits and cycle through them for two or three years. The life cycle and the usability of that sort of content is massive. And so the effort that you put into it, yes, is more, but the value that those have and the value that they have in developing business prospects for your business is really great. Number seven, mental health and resilience. The creative life can be really emotionally draining. It can. We're living in a constantly shifting landscape. There's a lot of stuff that feels like threats going on. We constantly are dealing with rejection, putting ourselves out there. We're open to critique because everyone has an opinion of what we do. We have difficult clients. We have to develop a level of resilience. How do we do that? We have to develop a level of emotional moderation. How do we keep ourselves from going down emotional rabbit holes? How do we cultivate the ability to maintain a livable level of emotional balance in our lives? 
How do we nurture self-confidence? And that's another one that I just actually want to bring up, like confidence in Bonfire, the mastermind community. Confidence is one of those things that when I've run mastermind groups, confidence is the number one result that people kind of report from participating in mastermind groups, is that the level of questioning about their own decision-making goes way, 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 way down because they have a peer network of trusted peers to be able to bounce questions and decisions off of. And it gives them a much higher level of confidence through doing that. So nurturing that level of self-confidence is one of those things that can maintain your mental health and also increase your resilience. So what are some of the things to nurture or to look for or go for to maintain your mental well-being? A supportive peer network like Bonfire, like I said, outlets to share and process your feelings. You could be processing your feelings around the stress of the job or stress of a bad client or rejection or crappy critique you got, problems you're having with a particular project that you're doing that you're not getting any really awesome results out of, or you're feeling creatively stifled. Being able to process those sorts of feelings with a peer network that you trust is absolutely invaluable for your mental health. Also, community, peers, networks, neighbors, family, relationships, a deeper level of community just beyond the professional is also a key component of mental health. So taking this out of the business context and into a personal life context, community, neighbors, family, relationships, do not ignore them, nurture them because they are your foundation. They're your bedrock. Another one that I'm super passionate about personally is creative outlets outside of work. As creative professionals, it's really easy to get completely and totally and always caught up in our creative output product, what we do. And I have found that creative people who have a creative outlet outside of work are much more mentally capable of managing the emotional stress that happens at work. In fact, when I was a VP at Old Navy, I interviewed thousands of designers. I was there for a long time and we used a lot of freelancers and a lot of full-time people. And one of the questions I always asked the people that I hired was, what is, do you have a creative outlet outside of work? Because I found that over time, over the like probably 400 full-time people that I hired, I found that the people who had a creative outlet outside of work were much more emotionally equipped to handle the stress of the job, and they were much less apt to become prima donnas. I found that people who only thought about their design, and that was like the only thing in their whole lives, So much of their entire being and identity was tied up in that one thing that they became incredibly inflexible about it and defensive about it. And so that's one of those things mentally that I think that by spreading your creativity out across a broader spectrum can be really helpful to your professional capabilities and also to your mental health. And so, you know, whether you're graphic designer who paints or you play guitar or you like ballet, whatever it is that you do, have a creative activity that no one can touch, that no one can put their thumbprint on, that no client can give you feedback on because every creative needs that. Also, just in general, this is another one that's personally been very important to me recently, which is physical health. And that is exercise. Exercise is one of those things that is more helpful to mental health than almost anything. Getting out there, sweating a little bit, raising your beats per minute, 
increasing your strength is one of those things that will give you emotional resilience. And so if you're not doing any kind of regular physical exercise, I highly recommend that you do. And it has been in the last six months for me because I underwent a very radical change in how I eat and also how much I exercise. It's been incredible in my own personal life. And then it's, you know, it's just documented that it is that physical exercise really, really helps your mental outlook. And then finally, I want to talk about mindfulness. And mindfulness is one of those things that's kind of more sent, it's more internally focused. And there are a number of ways that you can go about mindfulness. You know, you can mindfully eat, turn off the music, don't read anything, don't watch TV, just eat, chew, taste your food. My wife recently did a, a silent retreat where they did that when it was a group of like 20 people and they ate lunch in silence. And she said it was absolutely incredible. And then monks do that too, right? They don't talk. There's no music. They just focus on eating. So developing a level of focus can also be really helpful for your mental state. So things like breathing exercises, taking a moment, 10 deep breaths, inhalations, chair yoga. I also have another mindfulness technique that I use uh, journaling. And I use journaling a lot. I, I journal at least every few days. And I just process in writing what's going on in my head. Could be business, could be personal, could be emotional. And I never read it and no one else ever reads it. But for some reason, that process of journaling is a tactile meditation technique that really works for me. There's another one that's also I use, which is gratitude lists. Elevating your level of gratitude is a mindfulness technique that is proven to give you emotional and mental sense of well-being. I write gratitude lists where I write 10 things that I'm grateful for. And it could be anything. It could be that it's a sunny day. It could be that my jeans fit really well. It could be that I have a roof over my head, that it turns out my dog doesn't have, you know, whatever it is. And to make those lists fairly regularly, because they can also bring you back to what is good in life. We spend so much time kind of striving and pushing and, and wanting to be bigger and better and increase our revenue and increase our businesses and all that sort of stuff. Sometimes it's good to just like stop and appreciate and capture what it is that we have. I mean, how much bounty that we have, even in our everyday lives. And that can really contribute to your mental, emotional health and resilience. I also do meditation. And meditation, I have found also to be super helpful. There's two apps I want to tell you about. One is called Oak, O-A-K. And the other one is called Meditation. And it's got like a little kind of drawing of like a person and a lotus position on it. It's brown icon in the app store. Two really great free apps that are great meditation timers, super handy. And I use them when I'm like, really feeling stressed out and I got to take 10 minutes and just sit quiet and still. Super helpful for me. Another one is mindful listening. And I use this other uh, kind of app, which is really cool app. It's called Sleep Machine. You might know it. And Sleep Machine is basically like you can have all these, and I do the free version, but paid versions is like much more robust. It gives you like six or eight sounds, probably 20 in sounds that are there, like, you know, rain or stormy day or, you know, kind of lightning and chirping crickets and the, the sound of space and brown noise and white noise. 
And the cool thing is, is that you can actually mix them together. So you could take space noises and crickets chirping and you know running stream and something else, and then you can mix the levels of them as they layer on top of each other. It's really, really, really cool. So if you haven't tried Sleep Machine, totally check that out. And all of this stuff, you can find all of these seven. To tell you the truth, you can find in the mastermind community that I just started this week called Bonfire. And because Bonfire delivers all seven of these things. When you're surrounded with people who are on fire in their personal and professional development, you can't help but catch fire too. And when people invest in a mastermind community and they go in there and they really start working it for themselves, everybody is in there doing the same thing. And the intensity and the knowledge and the networking and the meaningfulness and the value that happens inside of those groups magnifies by everyone who's in it. So I just started this group. It's amazing. It's got an online community. It also has a mobile app. And we've started to have um, meetings. What's included in Bonfire in membership, not membership, it includes group mentorship with me, group coaching, two times a month Zoom calls. I'm also doing two times a month office hours calls. All of these meetings are recorded, so you have a back catalog if you missed one. There's a private online community on the Circle platform, which is really robust. You get feedback and accountability from your peers. You also get what I call a Fire Milestone Success Map, which is a collection of a huge resource library of tutorials and worksheets and templates and downloadable tools and PDFs that you can use directly in your business from the moment that you join. It's almost overwhelming how much stuff is in there, and it's going to take you a long time to get through it and to use it. And then I am also offering Brand Strategy 101 at a discount. And then if you take that course and you need coaching about how to implement it into your creative business, we'll do that inside of Bonfire too. And then I'm also going to have visiting speakers periodically who are going to come in. So Bonfire membership is $97 a month. If you join quarterly, it's less expensive to join quarterly. And that is because it's important that people get in and stay for a while in order to build solid network relationships. People cycling in and out of these things doesn't help anybody. And so that's the focus of it. So it's $97 a month if you pay quarterly. You can pay monthly if you want. It's just a little more expensive. And then there's a higher level um, of membership, which is called the Guild. And the Guild meets every week. It's limited to the number of people who are in it. And the level of touch and coaching and mentorship from me is a little higher than it is in uh, the regular membership level. And then there's direct one-on-one mentorship from me, which you can sign up for annually as well. Or if you wanted to work with me just individually and directly, you can go to my philipvanduson.com slash one-on-one and look at my one-on-one coaching. So this is open right now. And if you go to this URL, philipvandusen.com slash bonfire, there's a page there. I actually just added a couple testimonial videos to people who have been in some previous masterminds. There's some text testimonials, but now there's also a few video ones on there, and there'll be more coming. Um, but you can read more about what Bonfire is and join today. Doors are open. So if you join, pop over there. You can join and be inside Bonfire and inside of five minutes. And we would love to have you in there. It's going to be, and it's growing, an amazing, vibrant mastermind community of creative professionals. 
if you're considering joining, it's for established creative professionals. If you're in school or you're just a couple years out of school and you're just getting started in your career, it's probably not the best mastermind for you. These are people who are established five years plus in their careers, and they are growing their personal brands, their freelance businesses, or their careers inside of agencies and in-house companies. So if you're interested in Bonfire and all of the things that in these seven things designers need to know today and do today, all of that stuff is happening inside of Bonfire. And so that's where I'm going to end it for today. And I know this was kind of a more of a, there's a lot of tactical stuff in there. I'm not, there's absolutely tons of tactical stuff, but a lot of this in terms of surviving there are challenging professional landscape these days. A lot of it is mindset. A lot of it is adaptability and adoptability and resilience and learning and networking and relationships and communication. What we might consider to be the soft skills, your hard skills, your design skills, editing skills, video skills. Yes, they're absolutely important, but the things that are going to transform you into a bulletproof rocket ship of a creative professional are the things in this presentation and the things that are happening inside of Bonfire. Those are the things that are going to really add rocket fuel to you. All right, you guys, this has been great. My voice is starting to go, but this has been super fun. I hope that you've enjoyed it. If you'd like to help support the Brand Design Masters podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, if you want to stay up to date on all our content, products, courses, and live video shows, head over to philipvandusen.com slash muse and sign up for the Brand Muse newsletter. That's where we share all the latest news, resources, articles, books, and videos that we recommend to help you build and improve your creative practice, personal brand, and business. That's philipvandusen.com slash muse, M-U-S-E. Thanks again for listening. Bye for now.